everybody, just a reminder, if you're listening to this on yesnetwork.com, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review us. The episodes will go directly to your phone for free, making your life a hell of a lot easier. Let's get started. Well, welcome everybody to the Yes Men podcast. I am Doug Williams, right alongside Lou DiPietro, and um, we've got our picks for next week. The NFL, we got our picks to, uh, of last weekend to go back over, but we want to start with the World Series. I got to ask you, how much of last night did you actually watch? Third inning, I checked out. Really? Third inning. That's the kind of expert opinion that that you're listening to on the S Men podcast. If you're listening and you you would like to call in and ask us a question about the sixth inning. You I can't, can't answer it because Lou cannot answer your question. No, it's not that I not that I completely checked out, like turned the game off and said goodbye after the third inning. I was, let's put it this way, I was not vested in it at that point. It was over. The game was over at that point. Uh, big game, James. I uh, after four starts now this postseason, can we just say that he's maybe game, James? At it's, least, but I I, I kind of feel for him because it's not. A nickname that he created. No, it's not. But he was undoubtedly going into the season the ace of that team. He has undoubtedly going into many seasons been the ace or the co-ace of many of the teams he's been on. I say co-ace as as the rise of David Price came about in Tampa Bay before he left. He's going to get a big money contract. And I'm wondering what he's done to deserve every, all of this hype. He's a good pitcher. Yeah. He's an above average pitcher. He is not an ace on a World Series team, and he proved that last night. Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm now picturing him like if you picture him on Detroit's team, if he had just landed in that rotation, he'd be a four-starter. He'd be a good pitcher, yeah. but he wouldn't be known as an ace. He just happened to come up on the Rays, be the best pitcher in that rotation for a long time. He was never a guy that got a lot of run support, so you always expected 13 wins but a good ERA, that kind of thing. The rhetoric is just that he's an ace. Maybe he he doesn't deserve that title. Maybe he deserves a little bit uh, less of the pressure that comes with being an ace. But I think what makes him such an interesting guy is how competitive he is and how his demeanor on the mound is what you really want a pitcher to have. Um, That I will give you, yes. I I think the ace, the term ace is thrown around way too much as it is. There are not necessarily 30 aces in Major League Baseball. And if there are, they're not all necessarily on 30 different teams. Realistically, if you think of the David Price of even last year, the Justin Verlander of the last couple years, and the Max Scherzer of the last two years, Detroit theoretically has three guys who could be called aces with a straight face. Any one of those three guys would be an undisputed number one pitcher on most pitching staffs in the league. Clayton Kershaw, postseason dis-success, Aside, is an ace. Adam Wainwright is an ace. Masahiro Tanaka looked like an ace this year. James Shields is not an ace. Dallas Keuchel is not an ace. It's just the best pitcher on the staff. Right. He, but there's a, there's a big difference between being the number one pitcher on your team and an ace. Would you say being an ace got, kind of goes along with being a stopper? Like that guy where when you're on a four-game losing streak – you're waiting for him to come back in your rotation, a guy that you want after uh, uh, you know a, yeah. a losing streak of two or more games. His yep. stats are like you know thirty and five in games like that. Yeah, it's a guy that you can realize is going to go seventeen wins and change, 
sometimes less. I mean, Felix Hernandez is an ace, but Seattle's team has not been conducive to him winning a lot of games in the past. But somebody who's going to have that ERA in the three range, be in the top of every category, strikeouts, uh, innings pitched, wins depending on the team status, all the peripheral stats that go into it. A guy that you can count on going to the mound every fifth day and say, this is a win if we can do anything. The kind of guy that can win a game one nothing, but can keep you in a game if you're down three nothing as well. Yeah, you know that kind of that kind of dichotomy. And I don't want to get too specific about the World Series, just because by the time this goes out and by the time you listen to it, I would guess that either you're listening to it right before Game Two or after Game right. Two. Um, so what got them in Game One is you know besides the the great comeback they had in the wild card game against the A's and John Lester. This is a Royals team and a Royals offense that's much more conducive to keeping a lead, holding a two-to-one lead for right. five innings rather than using the long ball to make a, a, a seven-run comeback. So when the Royals get off to an early deficit, it's kind of hard to imagine them coming back because who's going to get – who's going to hit the three-run home run? Right. Who's going to, um, you know – Hit the hit the two run double and and suddenly you've got five runs. They've had clutch hitting. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're an offensive powerhouse by not any means. by any means. And they've hit more home runs in the postseason per per capita, for lack of a better word, than than they did in the regular season. The Giants have too, uh, but the Giants are much better suited of a team to be the one that is down three nothing in the seventh inning and can make the comeback. Whereas, like you said, the Royals are much more suited. All right, we're up two to nothing in the fifth inning. Our starter gives it all he's got for the next five batters, and then we bring in the triplets at the end and the bullpen to nail it down. They've been very successful doing that. They won 90 games, 89 games this year and eight more in the postseason. But they're not that kind of team that's going to come back from yeah. any deficit. The wild card game notwithstanding, that was more of the exception than the rule. And a lot of people don't necessarily realize or look into that because it was a great thing what they did in the wild card game. You know, but that's not who they are. A lot of times with the National League and people, it is interesting in the World Series how the American League's uh, American League representative kind of adjusts to having their pitcher batting ninth, and the National League team adjusts to having a designated hitter. And in this case, the Giants' lineup is deeper in, in Kansas City because Michael Morse is able yep. to start every night, along with being an absolutely massive mammoth human being. Michael Morse is a threat, and yes. he's an added power threat in that lineup. You know what's funny about watching the Giants play? They, as a whole, are extremely chiseled and strong guys. Hunter Pence even must have – uh, Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was going to say – I was going to come back to that and be like, and then you get to third base. But yeah. um, as a whole, I mean, think about it. Look at Baumgartner on big the dude. mound. Big, big dude. dude. Mike Morse, big dude. Hunter Pence has to have 1% body fat. I mean, he is an un, he's a physical specimen. And most of that might be in his hair. Yeah. Let's be fair. Yeah, a lot of fat in that hair. A lot of fat in that hair. A lot of oil and grease. Product, um, they call it. Yeah, he just takes bacon grease when he makes bacon in the morning and pours <laughs> it in. And, kind yeah. of like that, yeah. Um, generally, they're just all very athletic. And um, that's just a, a small observation for me, uh, admiring their physical stature. But generally, this lineup gets better with Michael Morse in it. It's deeper. <laughs> Yep. And and let's remember, they don't have Angel Pagan. Their no. lineup would be top to bottom much better and, with that guy as a catalyst. And if he wasn't hurt, their second baseman would be Marco Scudero, who a couple years ago was huge in their run to the World Series. This year was hurt, and that's why Joe Panic is there. But They missed a beat. Yeah, they haven't missed a beat. Their bench is very young and inexperienced. 
which would normally kill them except for one thing, Michael Morse, as you mentioned. Travis Ishikawa is not a left fielder. Uh, He's passably playing one on TV this postseason. (laughs) On TV. But it works out perfectly that the one game a Kansas City lefty is going to start is going to be in San Francisco where they don't need a DH so they can put Morse in the outfield for Ishikawa. You know, kind of play the the platoon card there, not miss a beat. And then, you know, like you said, they can have both of them in the lineup for for games one, two, and six, and seven if necessary. They are very well suited to the American League in that regard because they have one good hitter on the bench and no – I don't want to say no faith in the bench, but it's just a bunch of speedy guys, a couple of rookies, you know, one veteran and former uh, A-Rod trade subject, Joaquin Arias. And their backup catcher. I mean, that's their bench isn't much. Right. But they have the one guy that's a killer, and that's good in, in, in the American League. Likewise, the Royals are very well-suited. They play a National League style of baseball. Yeah. Problem is, what are they going to do when they have to take Billy Butler out of the middle of that lineup? It's a lineup that doesn't hit all that much as it is, and their DH is one of their biggest sluggers. But they're not going to take Eric Hosmer out of the lineup and put Butler at first like they did when Hosmer was hurt. Are they going to take Aoki out of the lineup and see if Billy Butler can play right field? I wouldn't in that park. I would. AT&T has a tough right field. Yeah. I, what I would do, personally, this is just me, <clears> would be to put uh, Gordon in right. I mean, the guy is a tremendous outfielder. Yep. See if Hosmer can play. Hosmer can play left field. Just just throw it out there. Maybe they've been you know practicing it uh, naturally. Um, he's a good athlete. Maybe you give it a shot. So you, bring, you, you, you push Gordon over to right. Um, Hosmer and left, Billy Butler plays first. Your defense takes a hit, but this is a defense that's so good anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Either that or do you just take Mike Moustakis out of the lineup completely, which you don't want to do because he's... Who's going to play third? Exactly. Al- well, Alex Gordon was a third baseman. You've got that possibility. He's astronomically but, better in the yeah. outfield, weirdly. Do you see if Billy Butler can play second and get rid of Omar? Oh, I mean, like, what do you what do? You do? <laughs> You're, that's a, it's a David Ortiz issue. It's a David Ortiz issue. The problem is this. The few times Boston has been to the World Series, first base has been probably the easiest spot of all the big where would a DH play spots. Mike Napoli notwithstanding last year, you know, they had the Doug Mankaviches of the world playing first base in Boston for a lot of those World Series appearances. Kevin Mala. <clears throat> Kevin Mala. It's easy to put Poppy in there for one or two of the games, you know, depending on if it's three or four in the National League Park, without missing too much. Defensively, he's not great, but he's passable at first base, and he's a much better hitter than the guy he's replacing. This isn't one of those situations for Kansas City. Butler is not good enough defensively to replace anyone in that lineup, but he's probably their second most consistent hitter in the the three through seven range right. of that lineup. That's true. He, he he's a line drive hitter, and he's a guy you can count on. Yep. He's the most, you know, he's got the most longevity as a Kansas City Royal. He's a staple in their lineup. He's a slugger, plain and simple. Yeah. He's a DH because he just, he is. He's he a hits. slugger. He's Adam Dunn. Right. In training. And, um, you know, it's funny, and I'm not making this uh, about the Yankees at all. I don't want to turn this conversation in that direction, and we're going to get to football here in a second. But it is interesting how the Giants are in the World Series and they have Travis Ishikawa in left field. And all we hear about in the Yankees offseason is how many question marks they have at each position. Who knows if this guy's going to do this? Who knows if that guy's going to do that? Well-coached teams and teams that you know seem to have that aura and mentality about them that's next guy up. 
those teams are, are the ones that go mm-hmm. far, and those teams are the ones that, all right, Angel Pagan's hurt, we'll be fine. Yep. We'll be fine. They, they never miss a beat, and um, it's really impressive to watch a team like the Giants. You know, Travis Ishikawa has that walk-off home run, and it's like, okay, there are teams that can deal with some adversity and plug a guy in who's never played that position and succeed, and there are teams that can't. It's just a reminder that if you don't think that, you know, every position is stocked, it doesn't matter. It's all right. People can step up. These are professional baseball players. The thing with the Giants that that gives them a little bit better of a handle on that, too, is that Angel Pagan has turned into a very good player since they acquired him from the Mets, which that trade looks like a robbery at this point for Ramon Ramirez and and Torres. Um, Marco Scudero would have been their eight hitter. He he was he had a good offensive season a couple years ago and was decent last year, but he was clearly their number eight hitter. When Pagan went down, Blanco was a fourth outfielder, but you knew exactly what kind of outfielder he was, and he fit in perfectly to at least replace Pagan defensively enough that you're going to miss what Pagan's bat has brought to the table, but he could take care of that. And they had enough guys in the belts, the Pences, the Posies, and the Sandovals to pick up a little bit of the offensive slack. Morse... They got lucky with Travis Ishikawa playing left field. Like It's just one of those things that, okay, yeah, we're going to throw him out there. All right, see what we can do. Oh, we did okay. And by no means will someone sign Travis Ishikawa to be their left fielder next year. By no means will the Giants re-sign him with the intention that he's going to play left field at any point next year. But that's the one where they kind of got lucky, so to speak. I mean, you look at what the Yankees have gone through in the last couple years. They got really lucky that the Red Sox let Lyle Overbay go last year when Mark Teixeira was hurt because what would first base have been without – I mean, Overbay wasn't spectacular. Mark Reynolds wasn't spectacular last year, but they were very passable enough to get the job done, whereas yep. the next men up, the David Adamses of the world, the Luis Cruzes of the world, Ishikawa for two at-bats of the world were not that next man up ready. Yep. So the Giants have gotten lucky in that regard with the left field spot second base and center field again panic yeah you couldn't expect have expected that out of him but they were replacing a number eight hitter who's adequate defensively and not going to set the world on fire it'd be like the Yankees going out with what they expected this season and having Brian Roberts playing second base he's not meant to be a middle of the order big run producer defensive uh, whiz he was meant to be a number nine hitting right second base option Travis Ishikawa Gave him a little luck. Sometimes it's what you need in the postseason. Yep. All right, so we'll move on uh, as the World Series continues. Maybe next week we'll talk about it more. As the World Series turns. Um, so I don't know what that was. What as was the World it? Turns used to be a soap opera. Oh, yeah. I, I steer clear mm-hmm. of those generally. Me too, but I mean I work in television, so I've heard of some television programs. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, remind me, have you ever watched Breaking Bad? No, I have not. Yeah, see, so I know of don't it. talk I to me about ne- television literacy. Um, hey, no, I've, I said I knew of it. I didn't say I watched it. I know I, of Breaking I'm just Bad. saying if you know how the intro begins. I know I can't buy their their uh, Breaking Bad figures at Toys R Us in Florida anymore. Why that? Not that I would be. They pulled them off the shelves. Uh, they, oh, because it's y- Yeah, because it's, it's Florida. So, yeah, it's. Yeah, Florida has better morals than that. It holds itself to a higher standard it than really keeping uh, breaking bad toys in the Toys R Us. It's so Florida, it hurts. Um, all right, let's talk week seven, Lou. Um, yeah. It has come and gone. Another 12-win week for you last week, by the way. Big That's week three for me. in a row. Big week for me. Um, Big week. 
You got all three of the games we differed on, right? Yeah. I cashed in. We got lunch today, and, and Lou so kindly paid for me. Um, How was your three-and-a-half-pound fairway salad, by the way? It was delicious. It was a, a, a <clears> nice <throat> uh, a nice lunch. Hmm. Um, let's see. What games – you know, the Jets and New England was interesting. Jets obviously had a, cha- a chance to win that game. Didn't win it. It was mm-hmm. – you know, I was talking to uh, Chris about this on the Christian show. Kind of an interesting uh, symbol for what the NFC East is all about, which is, I mean, sorry, the AFC East. It's kind of other teams are almost as good as New England every year. New England's never setting the world on fire, never blowing them out of the building, but somehow ends up escaping. And someday someone else will win that division. And, and until somebody else does beat them, you can't not pick them. You know what I mean? It's one yeah. of those things like – you're going to have to pick them until somebody proves, proves it. You can't go out on a limb and say, well, this is Miami's year. Or this is Buffalo's year. Or the, yep. Well, you'll never say this is the Jets' year. But <laughs> you, you can't go out on a limb and say that until somebody actually does it. And no one's done it for, what, 12 years? So, yep. Um, except for the one year where they lost Brady. And even then, I mean, they made the playoffs. At the risk of keeping mm-hmm. this podcast at a normal time, I'm not even sure I want to get you started on Rob Bryan and your New Orleans Saints. But that's one of the games you got wrong this weekend was – Detroit, New Orleans, and to be fair, that game was going your way for the majority, for the majority of, it. of it. And then, yeah, Rob Ryan hit. How how much realistically mm-hmm. take your anger out of the equation? But how much could he have possibly done there? Because he held Detroit offensively for the majority of the game. So I, I'm confused no, as to why you're the, a lot of that is on the personnel. But you have to have the right system and know what you're getting into. This is a Detroit team that was missing two tight ends, a wide receiver, and had one and a half of their two running backs, you know, depending on how how foggy or non-foggy Joyke Bell was at any given time. You can't allow that to happen. You have to know what their game plan is going to be with Golden Tate and then a bunch of underlying receivers. They had one tight end of their three big tight ends active, Pettigrew. You have to you you have to know the game plan going in. You, it's on the personnel for not executing, but they looked lost at the end of that game. It's I, I, I'm wondering if you'll agree with me here. The fact that Detroit wins a game like that with nobody on offense and that defense is as good as it is very scary. that is a really good team. Yeah, it's very scary. I mean, I know as a Giants fan, and I know you watched the game in Week One. That offense, when everybody's healthy, you don't know who to stop. Right. But your point is well taken about Rob Bryan because who's he looking at? I mean, I get that people step up in the NFL a lot. It happens a lot. You know, everybody's hurt, and Mohamed Sanu comes in for A.J. Green and has a great game. These things happen. But you're looking at an offense with Reggie Bush struggling, coming in and out of the game. Joyke Bell, like you said, woozy, not woozy, who knows. And, and Calvin Johnson's out. And you basically have to stop Golden Tate has a huge game. There's no one that that, that uh, New Orleans defense couldn't let beat them because you just should beat everybody in that. Let, let's, put it, let's put it this way. When I say that you have to execute and that falls on the players, but the blame falls on Rob Ryan, if everybody's healthy in that game, Detroit wins that game by 30 points. Right. They wouldn't have been a comeback. I, I mean, they win that game by th- – there's no way they don't win that game by 30 points as bad as New Orleans defense is. Yes, again, a lot of that's on personnel – I mean, you can talk about how the Jets are deficient in a lot of areas, but as great of a defensive coach as Rex Ryan is, with me and you playing cornerback, he's not going to win too many games. You still have to do your best as a defensive coordinator to put in place a system to make 
make the best yeah. of the talent you have and make them succeed. And he's just not doing that. That defense can't stop anybody for entire games at times. Can't stop anybody in the fourth quarter of every game. What do they do well? What do they do well? Nothing. Play well at home. <laughs> Great. Um, so there's 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 eight losses right there. So <clears throat> I think I'm right about this. The three games that I predicted differently than you, I won. And then there were three other games that you got wrong, right? Yeah, we both did. So the ones we got wrong, Miami at Chicago. We both had the Bears, and that won't happen again. We, I, I know we keep underestimating Miami because they just have certain games where they look very mediocre. Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill has all the skill that is necessary. It's just in terms of putting it together, and Chicago laid an egg. Yeah, and I think I think Chicago is a team that you kind of overestimate at this point now because they right. should be so much better than they are. Same kind of offense as Detroit. The kind of thing where when everybody's healthy and playing well, you don't know who to go they after. They have a top 10 running back and two top 25 wide receivers on that team. And, Martellus Bennett. And a great tight end in Martellus Bennett. And nothing. Nothing. Just nothing. It's amazing. And they had that locker room dispute after, apparently. You knew that was going to happen eventually on a team with Brandon Marshall. But, you know, let's be fair. The guy's He's a, a reform maniac. guy's but, a reform maniac. But, you know what? Even reform maniacs slip back into, yeah. into mania. And, and by the way, who knows? Because... As much as a lot of us, a lot of people are having the same reaction we are about that happening and being like, well, I'm not surprised. It is Brandon Marshall after all. It is the kind of thing where maybe it's just natural frustration. It happens to a lot of teams. Yeah. So I would be frustrated if I were them too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, not gonna lie. Obviously, we got Seattle and St. Louis wrong. That was mm-hmm. a shocker, but you know, everyone knows that St. Louis is well coached, plays to the last whistle. I just mm-hmm. didn't think they were going to beat Seattle. You know, it took that. That crazy fake punt. Uh, it took the the weird punt return with Stedman Bailey, where they faked every. I mean, they were they were pulling every play out of the out of the Keystone Cops playbook on that one, and and they won. And I said to somebody the other day that that was the kind of a win you expected St. Louis to have at some point this year. I didn't expect it to be this week, but this is one of those teams that's been in every game. They've had chances. They've made comebacks. They're very well coached. They're disciplined. They know what they're doing. They just don't necessarily have the talent. They're a team that has all the great coaching in the world and doesn't have the talent. On the flip side, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, and if your coaching stinks, Chicago, then you see where you are. And they finally put it together after almost beating San Francisco and almost beating the Eagles and almost beating Dallas. And those are three very good teams, by the way. This is where they put it together, and they got a Seattle team that's reeling a little bit. Put it all together. It's a great win for Jeff Fisher. Yeah, it's a great win for Jeff Fisher. And the the, the whole storyline that you just mentioned, you never hear. Nope. And if you're a Rams fan, and by the way, there should have been more of them at that game yelling and screaming than there were. Which is probably why they're the ones headed back to Los Angeles. Right. So if you're a Rams fan, you got to be happy. I don't care what your record is. Your team's playing to the, the, be- the most capability as it possibly has. And... Uh, it's just a well-coached team. So I agree with you. I, I think we all saw a big win coming. We just weren't sure when it was coming. If you flip-flop Jeff Fisher and Mark Trussman, the Rams are probably still 1-6, 0-7, maybe even 2-5. and five. The Bears are probably 6-1. and one. Right. Yeah, it's frustrating, I mean, being a Bears fan. Um, Cleveland at Jacksonville, we got wrong. You, I know, kind of said, well, I wouldn't be shocked if they won this game. They're at home. You never know. With Cleveland, they could lay an egg, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, Again, it was one of those situations where I see Jacksonville is not as bad of a team. They're bad. 
what's what's not even Vince words. They're bad. They're not as bad as they've shown, and the last few weeks they've progressively learned. There's a lot of rookies on that offense. There's, you know, the quarterback is a rookie. Their number one receiver is a rookie, now number two, because Cecil Shorts is back. Their running back situation is terrible with a couple of rookies and Toby Gerhardt, who's basically been useless to them this year. They're learning. They've kind of come close to putting it together a few times, and Cleveland was one of those teams that you can see laying an egg on the road, and that's what they did. So one game that I actually got right that uh, we weren't sure about. In fact, I actually went back, listened to the old podcast, and the fact that our conversation about it was funny. You were talking, you just go, Houston? And I was like, sure. <laughs> if it, Are you asking me? Like, take, take whatever team you want. Um, I took Pittsburgh. Neither of us really felt totally, uh, I don't know, confident about our picks. And it was that type of game. Neither team wanted to win that game. Pittsburgh went yeah. through that crazy, like, three scores back to back to back. And um, and Marcus Wheaton, who went from, oh, this guy could be something to this guy's our number two receiver to forget about this guy in seven weeks. That's pretty fast rise and fall, even in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <sighs> Dropped him for my fantasy team this week for that sole reason. But I, Pittsburgh is going to be a team that goes as far as Big Ben and Le'Veon Bell carry them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... And Houston is another one of those teams where their offense is learning, even though they have a great wide receiver and a great running back in Arian Foster. Hopkins had a good game, but Fitzpatrick is not the quarterback to lead them. Right. He's kind of he's kind of proven now after everybody got a little excited after that quick start and then the Giants brought him back to reality. He's the kind of guy that's there holding down the fort until they figure out who their quarterback is or which direction they want to go in. I, yeah. he's not gonna, they're not going to win a lot of games because of it. I, I would say they're a team to watch at the trade deadline just because you never know who's going to be available at quarterback. I was thinking about it with Ryan Fitzpatrick when I was watching that game on Monday night. I love watching him, not as a Houston fan. I like watching him play because he just does whatever he wants. He mm-hmm. runs. He chucks the ball up. He makes great plays. He makes terrible plays. He's just an interesting guy to watch. He's a very good backup quarterback. He's the actually, honestly, the kind of backup quarterback you want because he's very smart. Obviously, his pedigree. He's from Harvard. He's very smart. He has a good football IQ. He just doesn't necessarily make the best decisions sometimes, right. as you're sort of alluding to. But he'd be a great mentor, and he's a guy who you can trust to come in and manage a game for a week or two. He's as like, a starter. Eh. He's not. He's like a not as good version of Brett Favre. Kind of that gunslinger <laughs> mentality. I'm just going to go out there, find ways to win, kind of guy. So, um, yeah, they're they're going to be one of the most fun six and ten teams to watch when all is said and done at the end of the year. But that's about their ceiling. It's a 500 team, maybe. Yeah. Especially having to play Indianapolis twice, and you know, if Jacksonville starts putting things together in the second half, you know, that's one of those games where Jacksonville gets some huge confidence after a win that really you kind of could have seen coming. Yeah. Um, all right, I don't think it's too early. I, I, I think I, I want to talk week eight. What do you think? Can't believe we're already at week eight. I, I can't know. believe it's CBS gone. Thursday Night Football is almost over. It's gone. That's a good way to judge how how into the season we are. Yeah. Um, all right, we start we, off with the game of the week. I think probably right yeah, away. You might be right. There are a few other good ones, but the, yeah, the Thursday night game is good, and then we have the London game. Obviously, the. Uh, one thing about this week that I mentioned to you before we started recording was there are a lot of games between Stinkos playing each other, just not good teams. 
Those are going to be difficult. I wouldn't be surprised. If the, we... uh, the Uggo Bulls? Right, yeah. So, all mm-hmm. right, Thursday night game, San Diego at Denver. I found this harder than I thought I would. What do you think? I will tell you this. San Diego winning at Denver is not something that doesn't happen. It's not something I wouldn't say, nope, it's not going to happen. I'm picking Denver. I think they are the better team on the whole. I think their defense will be able to shut down Phillip Rivers, and they have no running game in San Diego. Brandon Oliver has done well in his situations, but it's because Keenan Allen, well, not even Keenan Allen, Antonio Gates, Malcolm Floyd's had some big games. Eddie Royals had some big games out there. Yep. I, I just I think Denver is the better team, and at home on a short week, even though Denver's coming off a Sunday night game, I, I think that's I think that's the key. It's going to be close. It's not going to be a blowout. Yeah, it's not going to be a blowout. It's a team. San Diego's coming off a, a loss at home. Um, Denver Sunday night game. Uh, Peyton sets the record. You never know that they're totally focused back on Thursday already. That's a lot to uh, come back from. They just won a big victory against the. But 49ers. I think that has much to do with the fact that Brock Osweiler played the fourth quarter than the fact that the score was what it was. Right. It was. Whether we win this game by three or by 30, we're winning by 30 now. So let's get this guy some reps and get Peyton out of there and make sure we're healthy going into a short week. Right. All right. So I'm with you there. I'm taking Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, Detroit at Atlanta uh, in London. That's the key because mm-hmm. at Atlanta would lead you to believe that maybe they'd be in the Georgia Dome, which it seems like it's not even going to help the Falcons this yeah. year. They're that bad of a team. But um, I'm taking Detroit. Uh, better team. Overall, we've been talking about it a little on this podcast. Good overall team. You never know who's going to play with them or not, but they're better better than Atlanta, especially in a, a neutral Yeah, site. I took Detroit, too, for that sole reason. If it was in the Georgia Dome, I'd be a little more hesitant. I'd probably still pick Detroit because Detroit's also a Dome team. Right. And it's pretty fortunate for Detroit that of their non-division game year, their non-home non-division games, they play a good chunk of them either overseas or in Domes. Right. So that that's helped out. Um, yeah. I don't... Atlanta's another one of those teams you want to tend to overrate, but when, you know, at noon on Sunday, when you see the score is 35 to 10 Atlanta, are you going to be shocked at that? Would you be shocked? No. If Atlanta wins by two touchdowns. Because Julio Jones and, and Roddy White would each have a touchdown each and be like, all right, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Steven Jackson maybe looks like an adequate running back at times. Anton Smith makes a big play, and there you go. Right, exactly. Um, Baltimore at Cincinnati. Baltimore's actually played pretty well. Kind of an underrated team. Cincinnati, overrated team at home. And they now have a one-and-a-half game lead in the division, Baltimore, all yeah. of a sudden. I'm taking Cincinnati. Um, okay, so we have our first opposite pick of the week. I'm going Baltimore. If A.J. Green doesn't play, that's very much a lock in my eyes. Even if he does, it's going to be interesting to see what the dynamic is, how much he does play. You know, he's one of those guys that, much like you, you thought Jimmy Graham would. He played a lot of snaps last week for New Orleans, even though he wasn't looked at until the fourth quarter when it was crunch time. He's one of those players you think will have an impact on a game even when he's not 100%. But as we've seen this year with both him and Calvin Johnson, it's not the case. It's hard to be a wide receiver and go 100%. Uh, when you're not, when you're not 100, percent yeah. So you know, wide receivers, you can't just jog down the field. Baltimore has a good defense. They're not great. I mean, their defense has been very good. With no running game, especially, I mean, Gio Bernard hasn't done anything the last couple weeks, and, and he got rocked last yeah, weekend. Rocked. I don't, I don't necessarily see them getting much going on the ground, and that's not going to help Andy Dalton at all. I think Baltimore is going to win. It won't be a blowout, but I think they're going to win. 
All right, so that's that's an interesting one we got there. Um, Houston at Tennessee, another tough one. Who do you who do you have here? Uh, Houston. Yeah, me too. I'm not happy about it. Um, the but. way they played against Pittsburgh is, I think, a lot closer to the team they should be. And t- Tennessee is just. Tennessee. Tennessee is a team I would probably pick four times out of seven out of sixteen during the year, even though they're going to win six or eight games. Like it's just one of the, the way it right. is. Right, they're just going to surprise you. Yeah. Um, St. Louis to Kansas City. It's tough to win at Arrowhead. Yeah, I got Kansas City. <laughs> good team. Good, good overall team. Team to watch. Uh, uh, St. Louis will. It'll be a close game. Yeah. All that we said about St. Louis applies, but it's tough to win at Arrowhead. Yeah, especially with a young quarterback. And Kansas City has just came off a huge win of their own. Chicago at New England. I don't think either of this, these teams is very good, but you got to go with New England. They're at home. Chicago uh, seems to be a team in turmoil. Looks like th- their coach Scott Trustman's got to got to go if this keeps happening. Yeah, he's going to be a one and done. I think if if this team they fired Lovey Smith after he went ten and six and didn't make the playoffs. What are they going to do if they go eight and eight under this guy with the same team? You know, yeah, like bad yeah, defense. Yeah, set a precedent. Very banged up defense, but the offense isn't doing anything either. Right. So you're picking New England? Yeah. Uh, Buffalo with the Jets. I'm picking the Jets. I'm going with Buffalo. All right. You're going with Buffalo. Sans, Fred Jackson, and C.J. Spiller. Sans, Fred Jackson, and C.J. Spiller. Sammy Watkins is pretty damn good. They have a good tight end in Scott Chandler who can exploit the middle of that Jets defense if given the right opportunity. And you know what? Anthony Dixon and Bryce Brown are two guys who are in the situation they're in because they just – Dixon came from San Francisco where they had Gore and LaMichael James, and then they added Carlos Hyde this year, and they just had guys upon guys, and he was the odd man out. Bryce Brown fumbles a lot, and those of us who are Eagles fans are glad he's not on the team anymore because of that. But he's also the kind of guy that could come off the practice squad and have 100 yards if he can get by that front seven. Yeah, I hate myself for picking the Jets, but – um, you know what? I, I think that they look at this game really as a must win because this begins a, a portion of their schedule that is very easy. Like the Jets have an incredibly easy schedule with the exception of one more game against New England and a game against uh, Kansas City. Home game against a really, really beaten up Buffalo Bills team coming off a big win. After six weeks in a row where they had to face Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady right. and yeah. Peyton Manning. I just, you know, Finally a beatable team. Yeah. So I like Buffalo a lot, uh, especially, you know, uh, Kyle Orton seems to make things happen, especially late in games. But I'm going with the Jets. I think it'll be like 17-13. Not a great game, but they'll end up with the victory. Uh, this is a stink fest. Minnesota at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is the home team. Yeah, that's me that's too. That's why I picked that's, him. That's the best, nicest thing you could say about either team. Bridgewater's close. He's not there yet. Right. He's a rookie. He's going to throw picks. Seattle at Carolina. Uh, I didn't think this one was too hard, actually. I actually went with Seattle. I did too. I think they're a very flawed team, but so is Carolina. The coming across to the East Coast maybe hurts, but it depends on if they just stayed in St. Louis this week, you know, and decided to move on to Carolina. I think they'll get it together. They, they. I don't think they've lost three games in a row in the Russell Wilson era, and I don't see that starting. Out. I know that the, I agree with you that they're a little bit of a flawed team. But then I close my eyes and I remember Marshawn Lynch, Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, and they only have one wide receiver to worry about. So Richard Sherman will be on Calvin Benjamin, right? And then it's not going to take an All-Pro cornerback, unfortunately, to cover Jericho Cotchery or Jason Avant. Yeah, they'll be fine. 
Um, Miami at Jacksonville. I'm taking Miami. Underrated team. Yeah. Not far from home. They'll they'll be able to. I think they'll be able to get the win. I don't think it's going to be an upset week. They can't get uh, Jackson, Denard Robinson. Jacksonville's run defense did a great job with a team that has not necessarily a great back, but a great rotation of backs. Tate, Crowell, West. They've got a pretty good stable of backs in Cleveland. None of them are game breakers. Tate's the best of the bunch, clearly. But they, the way they use them, they have, they've had a good running game this year. I was very surprised Jacksonville's run defense was that good. Uh, so I don't necessarily think Lamar Miller is going to have a monster game here, but they've just got Miami's too good yeah, for them. Yeah. Agreed. All right, interested to see what you got here. Philly at Arizona. I'm going to let you take your pick first because you might be surprised with mine. Um, all right, I'm going with Arizona. Uh, West Coast trip. Arizona's de- – it's going to be like irresistible force and immovable object. Arizona's defense uh, isn't – crazily talented but they blitz 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 they're so aggressive um they've beaten some really good teams they beat san francisco who beat philly there's just a few things and and winning in arizona is not easy and as good as philly's record uh would dictate five and one they really they beat up on teams early and they kind of they linger for the rest of the game i'm not totally sold on them um and I think Arizona wins. It's going to be close. I would say it'll be like 24-21. I have Arizona too. Um, and I'm okay with the fact that the Eagles, this point in the season, if they're 5-2, and two, that both of their losses are on the road to West Coast teams. Um, not even because of the time change or any, like any of that. Just the NFC West is a very good division. They have three legitimately good teams, and the fourth-place team is the w- most well-coached bad team in the league. Arizona blitz, 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 blitz. The Eagles line is still banged up. Kelsey's still out. Mathis is still out. They've looked a little shaky, Giants game notwithstanding. The other thing is that Arizona's offensive line is pretty good. The strength of Philly's defense is the pass rush. Larry Fitzgerald could have a huge day against the Eagles because he's going to be matched up whether – unless they put Brandon Boykin on him, and even if they do, if he's in the slot, that's a height mismatch. Fletcher and Kerry Williams have a tendency to be a little lax in coverage at times. And Fitzgerald, even though he's not the Larry Fitzgerald we all know and love, is still that kind of guy that can make a catch, make a move, and then go 70 yards. Yep. He could have a huge day. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, like you said. I think it's going to be a lot like the San Fran game where it's, you know, 24-20. But, uh, yeah. I'll be happy if the Eagles win, but I'm picking Arizona. Okay. Uh, Oakland at Cleveland, that's pretty easy. Cleveland coming off a bad loss. It'll be a revenge game at home in the dog pound. You can't pick Oakland until they win a game. Right. Uh, Indy at Pittsburgh, I didn't think this was that tough. I think Indy wins it. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh looked good, but, again, it's against Houston, who's got two good defensive players and nine that aren't. Right. Um, Green Bay at New Orleans. I th- I, the more I think about this game, the more I'm just so confused uh, by it. Because, can I just take the over and not yeah, take the winner? It's going to be like 40 to 40. I don't see any way that it's not. I really don't. What I, is the over? The over's got to be like 60 on this game. It is. No lie, the over-under's got to be in the 60s. It's, I think it's like, no, I think it's like 54. But, wow. Uh, I'm picking New Orleans at home. Really? I am. Um, I think they'll outscore them. And, I'm, I, you know, Drew Brees and Sean Payton – uh, have a long, long, uh, have long careers in the NFL, and they're two and four. They're two and zero oh at home. Y- you could say whatever you want 
about New Orleans. I'm not here to praise them. I'm here to pick a, a, a winner of this game. And I don't think – I think their pride is hurting right now. Mm-hmm. And I think Drew Brees in front of – in the Superdome, not an easy place to win for an opposing team. I think they barely outscored uh, Aaron Rodgers. I think it, it's going to be the thing – you know, their defense – can you bend, not break? That's the question. Can you contain Jordy Nelson? Yeah, whoever has the last possession might win this game, right. to be completely honest, because the the Packers are, are hurting a little bit in the secondary, too. So when you've got a receiver that's still as good as Colston, and if Graham is closer to 100%, and you know, you've still got guys on the outside like Stills and uh, Brandon Cooks, you know, they could they could run wild on that secondary. The problem is New Orleans isn't going to be able to stop Aaron Rodgers even without much of a running. I know Starks is a little banged up. Lacey's a little banged up. Even without a running game, Green Bay is going to throw it at will because they can. This could be a 45-41 to 41 game. I mean, it really, really could, and I think it will be. I think Green Bay is going to win just because – as much as we can say about Green Bay's defense, as much as you can say about New Orleans playing at home where they're a different animal, they're still going to be without Mark Ingram and Pierre Thomas. So that's now two of their three big running backs. And Cadet looked okay, but they're still without, you know, they're still very inexperienced back there. And Jimmy Graham, not at 100%, they're going to have to throw to him for him to be more than a decoy because if they don't get him involved in the offense in the first couple of series, Green Bay is just going to look at him as a decoy and they'll put a linebacker on him. You know, they'll, they'll stick AJ Hawk out there on him and just say, okay, you know, just watch him a little bit and they got to get him going. I don't, I don't know where their offense is going to come from if that doesn't happen. Yeah. All right. Washington and Dallas, Dallas is going to win that game. Washington might have Colt McCoy starting mm. at quarterback. So that's a pretty easy decision. You can't see what I'm doing right now, but I'm spinning my finger around in the woohoo motion. Yeah. Um, all right. So what do you, have you computed our records for, uh, you are six games ahead of me. I don't know, remember the exact records and I didn't write it down to bring it upstairs, but you're six games ahead of me. Uh, two games from the first week we did this week four. Uh, three games from last week, and then there was one week in the middle where you had a one one game advantage. I think that was the week where we had the uh, the different the one differing pick. <clears throat> obviously, so this is a big week for you. We got three different again. I could make up some ground, or I could fall ground. apart. I think we have to put the standard wager on uh, yeah. on this again. Okay, assuming well, I'll be able to cash it in eventually. But assuming next week goes smoothly, I'll be here uh, to either get or give lunch. Again, yep. like we did today. Um, yeah, I, just like last week, too, the three games we we were differing in are games where wouldn't be surprised if one of us goes 3-0, and but also wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the, at the one of us who goes 0-3, you won't say, well, your picks were bad. Yeah. You know, it's one of those weeks. I think that's it. I think we're going to wrap this up in under an hour for the first time in a few weeks. 43-ish minutes and yeah. counting. Nice. Uh, so that's that's our slate on week eight. Uh, next week we'll have the World Series will be behind us just about. <laughs> Even if it goes to Game Seven, it will be uh, that night, I believe. And uh, you know we'll we'll wrap up the baseball season, put a nice bow on it. While uh, while we're watching the World Series, you can go to yesnetwork.com. Doug has had a series of articles about the Yankees' positional needs going forward into 2015 with second base, third base, shortstop. Uh, Today was the pitching rotation. Him and I had a little back and forth with Batances and Robertson for the closer. So go check those out. You can weigh in on those, and we'll start talking about that a little bit more once the World Series ends and free agency kind of becomes a thing. 
qualifying offers become a thing and all the, all the fun that is the hot stove league gets underway. Until then, he is Doug. I am Lou. We're the Yes Men. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. However you're listening, though, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.